We've been looking at, um, just a, as I referred to in my prayer, a topical study. Usually we, we go through books of the Bible. We finished the Gospel of Matthew after about four or five years. I think I don't know how long we were in that, but we finished that. And uh, we have our meeting coming up. And, and uh, elders asked me to teach a little bit on membership and what that means. And so we've been taking a look at what it means to be part of a church. We looked at the first week the responsibility of the shepherd to the sheep. And the second week we looked at the responsibility of the sheep to the shepherd. And today we're going to be looking at does church membership matter? Does church membership matter? Now, if you've been here for any time, you know that we're not a church that makes a big deal out of church membership. But we do believe in, in church membership. And we're going to discuss that today, what that means and and what are some of the implications of that? It's definitely not a dividing point in our body between the haves and the haves nots. We don't have special seats for members and non-members. We don't do that. Uh, that would be against all Scripture. But we do encourage you to be committed to a local body of believers, whether it's this church or another church. Um, and a lot of times when you bring church membership up, a lot of people talk about, churches and they say, well, you know, they're just filled with a bunch of hypocrites and they're not what they seem. And, you know, why would I want to be part of that? I'm a Christian. I don't need to be. It reminds me of a story. I think I've mentioned it to you before. But uh, speaking of the church and how a lot of people within the church pretend to be something that they're not. Um, There was a story of a man who was desperate to make some money. And so he went to the local city zoo and hoping to get a job feeding the animals the manager said he had no openings but one of the gorillas just died and they have an opening if he would be willing to put on a gorilla suit and dress up and get in the cage and just act like a gorilla the only thing is you can't talk because then the the the, uh, disguise would be known and and the the uh, prank would be over or the job would be over if they knew he was a human being so he got in there and he did pretty good. He got in there and kind of grunted and walked around like a gorilla and made his pay each day. And um, he thought, well, this is a pretty good job. And uh, he climbed over on one of the vines and was swinging around one day and, and he lost his grip and he fell into the lion cage. And as he was looking at this lion roaring at him from a little bit of a distance, he didn't know what quite to do. But he knew he couldn't scream or yell for help because of the simple matter that everybody would know that he wasn't a gorilla and he'd lose his job. And so he slowly walked backwards away from the lion, hoping to climb out of the lion's cage. And the lion, looking very hungry and very ferocious and and vicious, followed him. And finally, in desperation, he yelled out, Help! And immediately, the lion whispered to him, Loudly, shut up, stupid, or we'll both lose our jobs. (laughs) See, sometimes things aren't what they seem. And I often tell people that look at the church and say, well, you know, it's full of this or it's full of hypocrites or it's full of that or, you know, people in there aren't what they seem. I always tell them this simple thing. You know, if you find the perfect church, don't join it because you'll mess it up. And that's just to say that there is no perfect church. Our church isn't perfect. There, there is no perfect church. Um, one day, the, the church of Christ will be perfected. It will be glorified. But up until that point, when it comes to church membership, you might ask, well, what are we becoming members of? What is this? Is this some elite social group? Or what are you talking about? And so we want to just do a quick little topical study on the issue of the church this morning, taking a closer look at the church. This is the third part in a three-part series, and church membership matters. Well, when you look into the New Testament, you find two kinds of church membership mentioned in the New Testament. Membership in the universal church, the body of Christ, but yet also membership in the local church, the physical, visible church. Well, let's look, first of all, at membership in the universal body of Christ. And there are a couple points here that are very basic and very kind of cursory to to go over. But the first one is this kind of membership we can turn in our Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 
And look at verse 12 to 13 as I read it. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 to 13. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews, Greeks, slaves, free. All were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. We see here that this universal church, that's what it's speaking of. It's speaking of the universal body of Christ. Those who are called to salvation in Christ are part of this universal church. It's the body of Christ at salvation, at which time the Holy Spirit baptizes us into the body of Christ. So that membership is found there. Secondly, every member of the universal church is a believer. If you're part of the body of Christ, you have to be a believer in Christ. There's no side door. There's no back way. There's no other name to be saved other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And to be part of his universal church, to be part of the body of Christ, you have to be a believer, a committed follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. It says, therefore, by one spirit, all are baptized into one body. When one comes to Christ, God gives us the gift, the deposit of the Holy Spirit. When you put your faith and trust in Christ and He transforms your heart and He makes you a new person in Christ, one of the things He does is He gives you the Holy Spirit, a brand new power in your life to live the life that you've been called to. Because we're called to live different lives as Christians. We're called to live by a new standard. And the only way we could ever do that is not by our own willpower. If you're a Christian here today and you're struggling with sin or you're struggling in a certain area of your life and you're saying, man, I just keep trying harder and harder. You know what? That's probably the problem. You're not allowing God to do his work in you. Remember what Paul said. He said, it's not me that lives this life. It's, it's I live this life. Christ lives the life through me, through the power of the Spirit. And so every member of this universal church, or the, 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 the body of Christ, I like to refer to it. You call it the universal church. It sounds kind of cultish almost, you know. Uh, it's not that at all. It just means the church across all borders. Anyone who has put their faith, their trust in Christ is part of that universal church, that body of Christ. Well, the third point here under this body of Christ or universal churches. Membership in the universal church is made up of believers, and this is important, from the day of Pentecost when the church was founded in the book of Acts, Acts 2, all the way into the rapture when Christ comes back for his church. That's what makes up the church. Nothing before, nothing after. That's what makes up the church, and that's clearly taught throughout Scripture. So that's the membership that we're talking about when we talk about membership in the universal church or in the body of Christ. It's, it's membership that we are baptized into by the Holy Spirit. You have to be a believer in Christ. And also, it, it consists of those from Pentecost all the way until the rapture of the church. If you come to Christ during the church age, you're part of that church. Well, the other kind of membership, church membership that's mentioned in the New Testament is simply this, membership in a local church, membership in a physical church. You can turn back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and you can find this in so many of the different epistles, but 1 Corinthians chapter 1, just follow along as I read in verse 1. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus, and our brother, Sophanes, verse 2, to the church of God that is what? At Corinth. To those sanctified in Christ, called to be saints together with all those who are in every place, call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. We see very clearly that he's speaking specifically to a local church. A lot of times in the New Testament, a lot of these New Testament books, you wonder, why do they call it Corinth? Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. These are actual letters that were written to a church, a local church, 
in a particular place in the city of Corinth. You can go over there and you can literally see where the church was physically. Buildings that made up the church. Or in Galatians, they wrote to the church at Galatia. Or in Ephesians, they wrote to the church at Ephesus. Or Philippians, the church at Philippi, and so forth. They were actual localized church. Churches that were founded by a group of believers that came together, that came to Christ, and they said, hey, let's get together, and, and, and we're going to form a church. Now, do they belong to the universal church? Definitely. But there's a need for the local church, and there's a need for membership in the local church. Whereas a sinner at conversion enters the body of Christ through the spirit of baptism, through the Holy Spirit, and baptized into different churches have different ways that you can enter into the membership of their church. And we'll talk a little bit about that. But one writer says this. He says, the one universal church is manifested in a particular locality, yet each individual assembly is the church in that place. The local assembly is one body of Christ particularized in a certain locality. That's the difference between the universal church and the local church. The local church deals with a local city, with a local group of people that come to a local place and they worship together. The universal church covers the whole world. Whoever is in Christ is part of the universal church. So it's found in 1 Corinthians 1 and in other places. You can go to any of the epistles and see that same idea. But secondly... I want you to understand this. While every member of the universal church has to be a believer, you're not partaking of the body of Christ. You have to be. If you're part of the universal church, if you're part of the body of Christ, there's only one way to enter into that membership, and that's through the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross for your sins and mine. There's no other way. There's no back door. There's no side door. If you're going to become part of his body, if you're going to become a follower of Christ and enter into the universal church as a member, you have to come through Jesus Christ and his work on the cross. While every member of the universal church is a believer, listen, every member of the local church may not be a believer. Even though in a lot of churches, salvation or regeneration, as we like to call it, is a prerequisite for membership. But we all probably know, quote, church members in this church or other churches. And say, yeah, I don't know where they're at with the Lord. But they're part of the church. They're part of this local church. They may not be part of the universal church of Christ. They may not have ever come to Christ. You find this a lot in certain areas of our country. You go down south where everybody's a Christian. In the southern states, the Bible, everybody's a Christian. I mean, there's a church on every corner. And you got people coming to church They clearly don't know the Lord just by their own lifestyle, but they come to church faithfully every week because it's a thing to do in the South. You go to church, that's just what you do. And they've been raised up in that church and they maybe even have been baptized and all sorts of things. But you know what? You look at their life and you say, man, it's a wreck. You're not following the Lord. You're not living for the Lord. You're not doing anything that honors the Lord. How can you be a Christian? Well, they're probably not. But they're a member of the church. The local church. So while every member of the universal church is a believer, every member of the local church may not be. And if you wonder if that's something new, it's really not. All the way back in the book of Jude, in your, in your Bible, if you look at the, the, the book of Jude, a wonderful kind of book on apologetics, really, and guarding the church, it says there, In Jude, well, three, he says, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation. He's writing to a group of believers somewhere else. And he says, the only thing we have in common is is our salvation. I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. And you say, well, why is he telling this church to contend for the faith? Well, look at what it says in verse four. It says, for certain people... Have crept in. Crept in where? Into the church. Into the local church. 
In particular, he has a, a, a church here in mind that he's writing to. They've crept in unnoticed, who long ago were destined for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our Lord, or the grace of our God, into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. So these were people who somehow crept into the local church. And they weren't Christians, but somehow they, they kind of got mixed in with the membership. And he's saying, be careful. Be careful. That's one thing a shepherd does is he guards the flock. Some churches, they have a very open-minded kind of approach to membership. If you come and maybe if you give some money, well, they'll make you a member. They, they, that's about all they're going to ask. They don't care about your lifestyle. They don't care about your testimony. They don't care about anything. Well, I don't think that shepherd's really doing his job. You know, if you, if you had a flock of sheep, you wouldn't want a wolf among the midst of them. And yet the Bible speaks of false teachers and people who creep in to the local congregations trying to cause issues, cause problems. So even though every member of the universal church is a believer, just because you're a church member of a local congregation doesn't make you a Christian. Find that verse in the Bible. Where does Jesus ever say that? You know, that you'll have salvation if you join the church, the local church. If you put a membership, if you put your name on the roll of a church, then you're going to heaven. No, he never said that. He didn't say that at all. He said, you know what, if you deny yourself, if you come after me, take up your cross and follow me, which is a difficult thing to do, you can only do it with his enablement, then you're my disciple, he said. It's not an easy thing to be part of his body, be part of his church. And sometimes it's even a harder thing to be part of the local church because it's made up of People who are sinners saved by God's grace. Chuck Swindoll describes the local church as a pack of porcupines who's trying to stay warm on a cold night and they get together only so far and then their little things start to prick each other and they've got to move further apart. That's how we are as a church. So we want to be aware that church membership does not guarantee your salvation in the local church. Thirdly, even though every believer from Pentecost to the rapture is a member of the universal church, membership in the local church is made up of believers only at a particular location and time. See, the universal church spawns that whole time period. But the local church, you know, Grace Bible Church, we're here at this time in Redwood City. You can't come to us and say, hey, I want to be a member of your church, but I'm not going to come to this church. I'm going to go to a church in Burlingame. Can I be a member of your church? Our answer would be no. That doesn't make any sense. Go become a member of the church in Burlingame. See, local church membership is where you're at. Sometimes you move. Sometimes you move from geographic location to geographic location. We've had... uh, a couple of families, actually, when they move into the, the area and they want to join our church, they're already a member of another church. Okay, well, does that mean now they have two church memberships? No. There's a prescribed way to transfer their membership. You, they go through the same process. They go through a membership class, the whole thing. But they can actually transfer their membership. So they're not on two church roles. So whether you're joining a church for the first time or whether you're transferring your membership, the local church is only made up of believers uh, at a particular location and time. Well, that's kind of our introduction, you might say, because it's important to understand what membership is and what we're talking about. But I want to just take kind of a little break here and, and point out in the New Testament, we're given, you might say, well, when did this thing all start? When did this church thing start? 
Well, it started in the book of Acts. And we're going to be looking at that just briefly here, a couple points. But sometimes when I talk with different men who are in the pastorate and they pastor their churches. And sometimes, you know, we talk to some of the, we have conversations and usually, you know, it'll it'll boil down among pastors of, so how's your church doing? It's doing good. How, how, you're growing? Yeah, people seem to be growing. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, are you, are you busting out the doors? Or the, are you growing? No, oh, numerically. Yeah, yeah. Numerically. Well, not really. I mean, we're kind of holding our own. But, you know, people come, people go. It's just kind of the nature of our community, I guess, we live in. I don't know. Wow, okay. Doesn't that ever frustrate you? Used to. And some pastors communicate their frustration with the lack of numerical growth in their church. And what they end up doing is they try to, they try to figure out what will make their church like the big one down the block. And I had one pastor tell me one time, we were talking about church growth issues. He said, you know what, my feeling is this, whatever works, if it pleases God, that's what I'm going to do. Doesn't matter, whatever works. I don't know. I mean, I don't think it's whatever works. I think it is whatever is pleasing to God. Period. Whatever God instructs us to do. If it's pleasing to God, it will work. We don't have to open it up to whatever will work. A lot of people today, churches try to focus on being relevant with the the society, and the culture. And so they try to figure out how to take their music and you know, focus it down to where, okay, at this time, at 9 o'clock, we're going to reach this age group, so this is the kind of music we're going to play. And then at 10 o'clock, we're going to reach this age group, and this is the kind of music we're going to play. And then at 11 o'clock, we're going to reach this age group, and this is the kind of music we're going to play. I'm not, I don't have an issue with that necessarily. I mean, if you have a huge church and, and maybe that's what God has called you to do. But I think to focus on a certain segment of society just as a means to grow your church, I don't find that in the Scriptures. I don't see them doing that in the New Testament. See, if there was ever a church growth plan that worked, it was the one used by Jesus Christ and the disciples in the book of Acts. I mean, talk about numbers, talk about effectiveness. That church just literally exploded. And why was it? It was because the believers knew why they were there, and they knew what they were supposed to do. Two key elements to anything. If you have a company and you don't know why you exist and you don't know what to do, you got problems. Eventually, this little church that started in the book of Acts that we're going to look at, scattered, Divisions came, persecutions forced perseverance and ultimately growth. These Christians weren't perfect by any means. They weren't problem-free. But when we look at this original church in the book of Acts chapter 2, you can turn over there and look at verses 42 to 47. It's very encouraging to see what God not only has done, but continues to do in and through his church. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 47. I'm going to read it, and then we're going to go over four key elements here that we find in the new new church. And this is a brand new church. This is the, the first church that ever existed. Nothing else has ever existed like it before. Before they had, you were Gentile, you were Jew. Now all of a sudden God had brought into the fold all these and said, I want you to be one body. That was such a foreign idea in the culture that it just blew people's minds that that's what God expected. Well, follow along as I read Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 47. It says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, these are these new group of Christians, and fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came on every soul. 
and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And when they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with gladness and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. You can summarize this with the word well. It's there in your outline. First of all, they were a worshiping church. They were a worshiping church. It says they continued steadfastly in what? In breaking of bread and in prayer. It says many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. It says they ate their food together with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God. See, the early church was really built on prayer and worship. I mean, you might say, well, yeah, that's a no-brainer. Tell me something I didn't know. You look at what's going on here, signs and wonders. Yeah, I'd be involved in prayer and worship too if I saw signs and what If I saw people being raised from the dead and people being healed. Wow. You might conclude that these believers had miracles happen every single day. But that's not necessarily true. Acts is an overview of about 25 years of church history. So don't get just focused on the miraculous here. That's not the point of the, the, the text or the sermon. But it says the believers continued what? Steadfastly. Prayer and worship. They continued steadfastly. We see throughout the Gospels even a more common response. When Jesus was here on earth and he would do miracles, sometimes the unbelievers would say, hey, if you do a miracle, I'll believe. Now I'm paraphrasing, obviously, but that happened on occasion. Remember King Herod? He wanted to see Jesus and Jesus was brought before him. But the Bible says that really what Herod wanted to see was Jesus perform a miracle. Not only did Jesus not perform a miracle, right? We know the story. He didn't even talk to him. Didn't even open his mouth. Why? Because he knew Herod was not interested in Christ or in his message. He just wanted to be entertained. Beloved, that's the culture of so many of our churches today. You have a group of people that come on a Sunday morning to be entertained. We're not here to entertain you. You haven't figured that out yet. <laughs> if we did, we'd fail miserably, let me, let me tell you. But when it comes to worship and prayer, we have to make sure that that's a focus. You know, it's not the style of the music that should be the focus. It's what's the word saying? It's not how long your prayers are. It's what kind of heart are they coming from? Thank God for our ladies that meet right here in this building every Tuesday night for prayer. Small group, small little band of prayer warriors. I mean, may their number increase. I remember reading of a sign one time that was permanently painted on a, on a church, on the side of a church, and the sign said this, Miracle service every Wednesday night, 7 to 9. And I thought, wow, so God can only do miracles on Wednesday night between 7 and 9. That's it, that church, that's it. See, sometimes we get off base. We get, we, we get chasing after the, the miraculous and we forget about the basic. To become a worshiping people means that you had to be transformed. You had to be turned around in your own heart. I mean, stop and think about it. What's our natural inclination as worshipers? What do we usually end up worshiping if Christ hasn't redeemed us, if we haven't been transformed? I know a lot of people that worship their time. They worship their energy. 
They worship their affections. They worship their job. They worship their family. They worship their possessions. But see, the Bible clearly teaches that we are to put all that aside. And the reason we've been left here on earth is to primarily to know and walk with God who made us and to bring glory to His name each day. That's the purpose of living as a Christian here on earth. That's the reason God left us after we were saved. Sometimes we might think, boy, it'd be neat if God just saved us and we were out of here, right? I mean, sometimes I, I think of that. But you know what? On the other hand, you think of all the ministry you'd miss out on. You think of all the opportunities, how God has used you over the years as a Christian and in influencing other people. You'd miss out on all that. So God chose in his divine plan was to leave us here as Christians, not just to take us home right away. Leave us here and let us be the salt and the light. Well, the second thing there, W.E., is to become an evangelistic church. It says the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. It becomes clear when you read about the New Testament church that literally everything they did, to the most extent, culminated in evangelism. In other words, proclaiming Christ was never an optional thing to do. They always proclaimed Christ. It was never a job handed out just to the evangelists on a special committee somewhere. Evangelism happens regularly as these new believers gathered together. And as they did, people, unbelievers, would gather with them and they'd look and they'd see the work God has done in their lives and they'd go, wow, how can I be part of that? And they'd be evangelized. See, today, unfortunately, there's a lot of churches that actually debate the idea that Jesus did command us to go into all the world and to make disciples for him. Some churches go as far to say, as, you know what, we're not called to evangelism. We're just called to body ministry or body life or, or to, to edify the saints. That's it. And then you have the other extreme who there's a lot of churches that are, that are dumbing down everything to the point where unbelievers will feel comfortable in their midst. So they don't sing songs about Jesus' blood. They don't talk about sin. They talk about mistakes and, and they change the gospel to kind of bring it down to the lowest possible level. And really they, they do harm to the gospel by doing that. And you almost end up with you know, the message of my best life now kind of a message that just says, you know, hey, you know, just, just soar, soar on eagle's wings and believe in yourself and, and, you know, put aside all the negativity and just be positive and, 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 and God loves you. Amen. That's the message that's out there today. That's a distortion of the true gospel. That's not the gospel of Christ. That's not going to save anybody. I mean, do we want visitors to feel welcome in our midst? Definitely. Do we want unbelievers to feel welcome in our midst? Definitely. But we're not going to change our whole agenda just to cater to them. That's not the purpose of the church. The purpose of the church is, last time I, I, I checked in the New Testament, was to edify the saints of God, to build them up, and to share the gospel with the lost. I mean, sometimes the church tries so hard to be not offensive, and not confrontational with the gospel message, that it's not effective. I heard an interview with uh, Franklin Graham the other night on, uh, I think it was uh, Greta Van Susteren, that program or something, and there he was helping out the people down at Sandy, and he's talking about these Christmas boxes that they do every year, <clears throat> and uh, she asked a wonderful question. She said, what do you tell people that, you know, have just lost all their homes and they got Christmas coming up and all their hope is lost? What, Franklin, what would you tell them? And he said, well, as a minister, and I thought, I wonder what he's going to say. I mean, he nailed it right on the head. He said, your, your hope is not going to be found in this, this, and this. Your hope can only be found in the Lord Jesus Christ. You need to repent of your sin. You need to, I mean, he just gave the gospel right there on Fox News. Millions of people probably heard that. And yet, I know of so many people put in that position, they would, well, I can't say something like that. I can't say the only way to salvation is through the Lord Jesus Christ. That would be offensive. 
I don't want to offend everybody. No, he just went out there and, and, and shared it boldly. And I thought, praise God. That's so important that we don't dumb down the gospel when we're sharing it with people, when we're, when we're sharing it with our relatives or our friends or whoever it might be. Remember, it says there that the Lord added daily those who were being saved. It's not upon you to go out and save people. That's not your job. Your job is to live a, Christ, a life that honors Christ. And as you're doing that, God gives you opportunity to share the gospel. You share the gospel. And you share it in its entirety. You don't leave out anything. You talk about things like sin. And you talk about the blood of Christ. And you talk about repentance. And if that's offensive to them, well then so be it. But at least you're being honest with the message you're sharing. You're not trying to hoodwink somebody. I mean, evangelism back in the time of the church was not, hey, we're going to have a big outreach program at the church, and so we're going to kind of have all this stuff, and then at the last minute, we're kind of going to slip the gospel in there. You know, we're going to invite them to this, or we're going to invite them to that, or we're going to have this or that or whatever, and then just kind of slip the gospel in there and kind of trick them, you know. That's not the purpose of the church. That's not how we should do evangelism. To be honest with you, evangelism should be done, obviously, outside the walls of the church, right? It's the saved that are coming together to worship Christ. Unbelievers can't worship God. Talked to a pastor one time, and they said, well, you know, we don't, we don't sing a lot of the hymns and stuff because, you know, unbelievers just don't get that kind of jargon. And we really want them to worship God when they're with us. And I looked right at him. I said, they can't worship God. I don't care what kind of style music. If you're an unbeliever, if, if they even tried to worship, it would be offensive to God because they haven't come to his son. See, we need to be real about this stuff. We need to understand what God's purpose and plan is for us. So it's to be a worshiping church, an evangelizing church. And remember, it's through the foolishness of the gospel that men are saved. When you share the gospel with somebody, you know what? Sometimes you may feel foolish. You may feel ridiculous. Last time I checked, it's not about our feelings. George Barna, one time, he wrote a book called The Second Coming of the Church. And he mentions that in the 70s, seeker churches wanted to make visitors feel welcome. So they did not make it necessary for people to locate Bibles or, or find the passages. They put everything up on the screen. Churches didn't want visitors to feel that they were surrounded by what could be perceived as a bunch of Bible thumpers. And Barna says, two decades later... It is clear that this experiment has had a more sinister consequence. People don't even know where their Bibles are anymore, he says. See, in many churches, beloved, the core membership, not just the visitors, but even the core membership, they've lost their familiarity with the Bible. Because very seldom does the pastor actually stand up and say, open your Bibles too and, and teach from the Word of God. He says, sadly, the shift away from promoting the personal responsibility to bring a Bible along has sent a signal to many people that the Bible is simply just not important. It's not relevant. Trust me, we know and we believe wholeheartedly that the Bible is relevant, that the Bible is the message that people need to hear and study. That's what we do every week here in this church. So thirdly, not only worshiping and evangelizing, but also they became a learning church. It says they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. I mean, the most basic essential of any church that's healthy is a commitment to the preaching and the teaching and the learning of God's Word. If you set that aside... Because, you know what, you need more time for this, you need more time for that, you're going down the wrong path. I mean, don't get me wrong, I love music, I love to play music, love to, you know, worship together or whatever. But, you know, it's never going to take precedent over someone standing behind this pulpit, whether it's me or someone else, and teaching you the Word of God. Because that's 
where the power lies. I mean, the songs may make us feel good and they make us remind us of God's glory and, and worship him in that way. That's great. But you know what? It's the teaching of his word that affects change in the lives of people. And that's what we want. That's what we desire. It's the gospel that's the power of God unto salvation. It's not a song, not a chorus. So we need to be reminded of that. And it says there that they continued steadfastly. See, not only here that the apostles taught faithfully and they, they continually taught them, but it also implies here that the congregation was faithful to continue as well. I'm blessed to be in a church that has allowed me to do what God has called me to do and teach the word of God, especially even in an expository manner. A lot of churches, you know, they're not looking for that. They're looking for somebody to get up here and, and kind of, you know, just emotionally go crazy with whatever they want to teach on. The felt needs of the people. Well, our people need to hear this. Our people need to hear that. No, the people need to hear the word of God. And it's, there's never been a more effective way than teaching the word of God expositorily, systematically, book by book by book. Because you know what? Then you're getting the God's words. You're not getting my word. And that's so important to remind ourselves of that and remember that. But it's a twofold thing. They continued to teach, but they also continued to grow and were attentive in the hearing of God's word. Paul wrote to the Galatians, the church of Galatia, another local church, and look at what he says in chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. This is Paul writing to a local church. He says, I am astonished that you so quickly deserted him who called you in the grace of Christ, and you're turning away to a different gospel. Then he says, not that there really is another one. (laughs) There's only one gospel, beloved. But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Let us never, ever enter into distorting the gospel of Christ just because we want to have the the means justify the ends or whatever you want to say. I mean, there's a lot of churches out there that simply are not teaching the Bible. And if they're not teaching the Bible, they're not teaching the historical facts that are in the Bible. They're not teaching the morality of the Bible. They're not teaching God's view of history. They're not teaching a lot of things. It affects the church at every level. And there's a lot of churches today that do the church light thing, you know. They come in and kind of entertain for 30 minutes of music and lights and smoke and all sorts of things. And then, you know, the pastor gets up and shares a little talk, 10, 15 minutes. I mean, I can't believe that that sometimes I'll go online and I'll just kind of be looking for a subject. And I'll find somebody's sermon. I'm thinking, well, this sounds really good. And I'll turn it on. And literally, it's like 15 minutes long. And I'm going, man, this guy was just getting warmed up. And oh, okay, we've got to close in prayer. So, and I'm thinking, wow, where's the rest of the message? I, I just, you know, and it's not that length is spiritual. I'm not saying the longer the sermon, the more spiritual. Usually that's not the case. Usually when I preach a long sermon, a lot of times it's because either I had a busy week and I didn't do the proper preparation and I just, you know, went on, went on and yapped my jaws too long. A lot of times we can say what we say with less words. Trust me. But we need to be reminded we're here to get a meal. We're here to be built up in our faith. We're not here for dessert. In Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11 to 14, the writer writes this. He says, about this we have much to say, and it's hard to explain. Asked a tough question in the previous text there. Since you have become dull of hearing. (laughs) Verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again, it says, the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, 
not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. That's important to read that. It's important to be reminded that, you know, this isn't a little game you play every week when you come here to church, you know, just so you can check it off your list. That's not what being part of a church is about. It's part of that process is it's about learning more about God, about coming under the teaching of his word. Ask yourself, how long have you been hearing the word of God taught week after week after week? Maybe some of you ought to be teachers by now. But maybe you're not getting it, so you need to go over the same basic things over and over because you're not applying the truth that's being taught to you. I'll be real honest with you. I think one reason why the Lord called me into a ministry that is full-time and you have to do something every week and prepare, sometimes twice a week, is because God knew. He knew. Steve, you're not going to do this on your own. If you didn't have to do this every week, you would not do it. And I'd be the first to admit that. It doesn't come natural. Some people, some pastors, oh, just, you know, I'd love to be in my office with my books and close the door and 12 hours of prayer and study. Oh, day after day. That's, that's what the ministry is about. That is not the ministry to me. That is hard work and it takes a commitment to, for me to stay in that seat and get something done. Because my mind's going a million different things. Well, this has to get done. I've got to go visit this person. This has got to be done. It's hard to just get aside and just focus for hours on, on a certain text or whatever you're trying to teach. Some people love it. That's not my personality. So it, it comes as a, as a hardship for me. But I realize the only way that we're going to grow as a church is by, through the, the teaching and by the learning of the Word of God. And that's why it's such an important thing here in our body. You know, whoever teaches up here, whether it's Ken or Danny or myself or other people, they're always going to be opening their Bible and they're always going to be referring to a text of Scripture and they're going to be sharing the Word of God with you. That's very important to who we are as a church. And it was very important to the first church, a learning church. Lastly there, become a loving church. It says, all those who believed were together, they had all things in common, continued daily with one accord, having favor with all the people, having all things in common. See, that's, that's definitely backwards from our thinking, isn't it? You know, it's, it's kind of what's mine is mine. And what's yours is yours. We kind of have that unwritten law in our society. That's not true. When it comes within the walls of the church. And we see that played out. I mean, I've seen people in our body help each other out. Nobody told them to do it. They just do it. Because they realize it's the right thing to do. You see their unity there. Says all the people thought well of them. Well, sure, if you had a if you had an organization like that where everybody came together and they were in unity and they helped each other out, why wouldn't you want to be part of that? See, the problem with most churches is the outside world looks at it and goes, "Oh yeah, they they threw out another pastor, man. They split, and half the church is down the street starting another church. You know, you know, well, that guy's my neighbor, and I know what he's like. Uh, you know, and they go through all these gymnastics in their mind when they look at the church." That wasn't true in the New Testament. They looked at it and they said, man, how can we be part of this? We need to remember that. We need to remind ourselves of that. Colossians 1.8, Paul wrote to the Colossians, he says, So naturally we proclaim Christ. We want everyone we meet and we teach everyone that we can all that we know about him. That's what we're called to do as the church. So whenever you think of the local church, just think of that acronym there, WELL. Worship, evangelism, learning, and loving. That's what our our church should be about. That's what we desire to be emulated to the society around us. 
Well, what's this obligation and how do we, we deal with this process of membership in the local church? How do we do it here at Grace Bible Church? Well, basically, it's three steps. First of all, we don't just assume you're a Christian. We want to know you're a Christian. So usually we would hold just kind of an informal time talk, chat together, interview with an elder or maybe two of us and sit down. You just share your testimony with us. If you're saying you want to become a member of our church, we want to know that you're a Christian. That's part of our job as kind of a gatekeeper to make sure that we're not allowing people in that aren't Christians. That would be not honoring to Christ. So we have that interview process. We also have a little membership class that you go through. It's not long. You can do it in a Sunday afternoon after service. Usually we have uh, furnish a lunch and we all sit down together and eat lunch and, and we just go through this membership. And what it talks about, it talks about the structure of the church, the government of the church, um, as far as giving to the church, how that operates. Part of that process is learning what your spiritual gift is because we're assuming if you want to become a member of the local church, you're, you want to become a member not just to reserve a seat on Sunday, but you want to be participant. You want to be a participant in the church. So somehow we want to utilize your gift, whatever it might be, to serve the body of Christ. And so you go through a spiritual gifts test. And we help you with all that. And then basically, after everything is is checked, you know, you're a believer. And, and, and we believe here that as a believer, one of the, the things that's the first act of obedience as a Christian is to follow the Lord, the Bible says, through the waters of baptism. So all those things having been said, then basically we would have a, a Sunday and we would have a whoever went through the membership class and met these requirements came up and we would um, present you to the body uh, here at, at Grace Bible Church. And uh, that does two things, that you're making a commitment to the people that you're looking at out there, but they're also making a commitment to you, see? And then you become officially a member here at this local congregation. And that, you know, membership does a couple things. It helps us to discern where as leaders, our loyalty needs to lie. Um, and it's not, like I said, a have and the have-nots, but I'm just saying that if you're willing to put your membership here in our church and you're willing to kind of uh, commit to that, it's a commitment. It's just like joining you know, anything else, but it has such a greater value. If you join a chess club... You become a member of a chess club and you never show up for the chess meetings and you never participate in anything, well, you're not really going to be a very good member. And so part of that is that process as leaders here in the church, and it was set up long ago before I ever even came, that membership is part of that, that process. And what does it do? Well, first of all, it kind of clarifies the difference between believers and unbelievers. And like I said, you know, you can always have somebody slip through but for the most part, you know, if somebody tells us that they're a Christian and they follow the Lord in baptism and they want to become a member of our church and, you know, um, their lives seem to be in order, it's not rocket science. I mean, they're welcomed here to be a member of this church. But if you came to us and said, well, you know, I don't, I'm an atheist, and I, but I want to join your church, well, the answer would be no. <laughs> Simply no. Well, why not? Because it's for believers. And that's what Scripture leads us to share with you. Um, not that that would ever happen, but, you know. Um, secondly, it causes the visible church to be better, to better reflect the invisible church. You know, when you become part of a local body, a local church, you're really becoming the visible part of the invisible. You know, the universal church is invisible. I mean, you can say, well, yeah, I belong to the Church of Christ. I don't need to belong to a local church. But you know what? It sure does show your commitment. It sure does show your commitment to Christ when you become a member of a local body of believers. Someone wrote this, The visible church is glorious insofar as it resembles the invisible church. 
Visibility and invisibility are two aspects of the one church of Jesus Christ. For that simple and conclusive reason, the visible church must manifest the invisible. Admittedly, the resemblance of the one to the other is never perfect. But in some instances, the visible church is no more than a caricature of the invisible. Then it becomes inglorious. So, you know, we want to make sure that we're, we're representing Christ's body in a meaningful way. And then thirdly there, membership is essential to an orderly administration of the church. Um, God has really invested in the church in his manifested grace through the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know what? As, as leaders, as a steward of that, you know, we need to understand, well, you know, who's committed? I mean, if you're a member of our church and you come up and you say, you know, Pastor, I, I have something I need to share with you. And you share something with me and it's maybe hard for me to hear. And, you know, we sit down and we talk about it. That means a lot. But you know what? If you're not a member, you're just a visitor here. You can hear one Sunday, and afterwards in the lobby, you grab me by the hey, I got some things to share with you. You know what? I've never seen you before. Well, I'm going to hear you out, and I'm going to take what I can from it. But you know what? It's not going to have the meaning that it would from somebody who's committed themselves here. You're part of this local body. So it helps us in the administration of the church. It's not just a loose collection of individuals who name the name of Christ. No, it's, it's organized. It says that they even numbered them in the New Testament. So someone was keeping track of somebody. Fourthly there, it promotes involvement from those who are on the fringes of the church. Promotes involvement from those who are on the fringes of the church. In other words, when membership is stressed... When you come here as a regular tender and we ask you, are you a member of the church or whatever? And, uh, you know, we, we don't want to make you feel uncomfortable, but we want, to, want you to know that we want you to be committed. We think it's biblical to be committed as a Christian to a local body of believers. And most of you are. And so it's important to, to realize that, that it, it allows you to not so much just hang around on the fringes when you're a part of, a, of something, when you're part of a membership role of the church. And then lastly there, it provides an opportunity to educate people about the nature and the distinctives of our church. In other words, if you want to join our church, if you want to become a member of our church, we have that class we go through and we talk about what this church is about. And you become further aware and you might, at the end of the class, you might say, oh, that's not the place for me. That's fine. Go find a church that is and join it. We don't think we're the only church on the block. It's not a, membership doesn't speak of an exclusivity to that church. Okay, it speaks more to, hey, you know what? I'm committed to Christ, and I'm going to show my commitment through being committed to this local group of believers that I wholeheartedly agree with. You might say, well, what, what do I get, a little ring or something? What do, you, what do we get for joining the church? No, you don't. We don't have anything like that. Charles Spurgeon once told his congregation this story about church membership, and I want to read it to you. I think it was classic. He says, I well remember how I joined the church after my conversion. I was forced, I forced myself into it by telling the minister, who was lax and slow, after I had called four or five times and could not see him, that I had done my duty. And if he did not see me, I would call a church meeting myself and tell them, I believed in Christ and asked, asked them if they would have me. Why was this young Spurgeon banging on the door of the church to get in? No doubt he knew that commitment to the local church and obedience to leaders was necessary to his spiritual growth. And he greatly feared the God who had, an issued, who had issued these commands. See, church membership is not just a commitment on the member's part to the church, but it's also a commitment on the church's part, to the member. Both the church as a body and its leaders care for that individual. And it's, it's important to understand that. It gives you an opportunity, some of the privileges, to minister. You know, we want you to be involved in ministry here. But you know what? Part of our plan of protection is, you know what? If you're not committed to our church and you're not willing to put your membership here, then why should we be willing to entrust to you certain aspects of ministry? 
And that's very important to us, to be protective in that way. Because the Bible clearly says that as the body of Christ, we're gifted in different ways, and we should be using those gifts in the local church. And then also just loving accountability. You know, when you're part of something, there's some accountability there. That's why a lot of people don't want to join the church. They don't want that accountability. They want to do their own thing. And other things, I mean, you know, there's, there's services that are, that are provided, and we would provide these for anybody. Don't get me wrong. But on the other hand, you know, if you're part of us and you're here and you're committed with us, you know, that's, that's going to be important to us as we manage those services and whatever, whatever we can do to help you out. So church membership isn't something that should be used to separate the body of Christ. That's not our intent, but rather to come together as the body of Christ around a common commitment. Our covenant here in our church, in our church founding documents and in the covenant that is in the Constitution, simply says this, having been led as we believe by the Spirit of God to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, we covenant together, God helping us that as strangers and pilgrims we will abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. That we will by the Spirit's enablement put away from us all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God through Christ has forgiven us. And if you're saying, boy, a lot of this sounds familiar. It's all scripture, beloved. That as we have opportunity, we will do good to all men, especially those who are of the household of faith, that we will remember them which have rule over us, who speak unto us the word of God. And that we will give as God has prospered us, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And it says under membership here, and I'll just read it to you, any person who publicly confesses Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and indicates a willingness to adhere to the declaration of faith and covenant of this church and to live in accordance with the principles of both shall be welcomed into this church. Members are encouraged to be in regular attendance at the worship services and are and, and to contribute to the material needs of the church, they shall be willing to serve as the Lord, uh, as to serve the Lord as teachers, officers, and workers in accordance with their strength, ability, and spiritual gifts. Also, members are encouraged to have a family worship and to bring up their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Um, that's what it means, basically, to become part of of our little local congregation here. And it, it's important to revisit this once in a while because, you know, people tend to forget because we don't push church membership. We're not, we've never, we, we definitely push salvation much more than church membership. And that's the greater importance. But we also want you to know that, you know, when we have our meeting in the next couple of weeks, you know, it is very much a church meeting, but it's also a business meeting, and those who are in it, we have to take a, a vote of, on the budget, and, and those members are the ones that actually legally do that. And so if you're interested in church membership, we're not going to have a class before the meeting, don't worry. But in January or February, depending if, if people are interested, we will um, you know, entertain that and, and take you through that class and, and, and walk you through those steps. So we, we welcome that. But let's pray and uh, we'll, we'll close our time together. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that you've called us to this church, Grace Bible Church. Lord, we thank you that we have a body here that wholeheartedly believes in your word, that believes in the power of your word, that believes in the power of the gospel to save the human soul. Lord, we don't look for gimmicks. We don't look to man's cunning schemes to grow this church. But Father, we look to you. Your son said clearly that this is his church and he will grow his church in a way that he sees fit and honoring to him. And so Father, we thank you for those who are part of not only this church, Grace Bible Church, but the universal church. We thank you that you've allowed and made it possible for us to come to Christ through the cross 
and through the sacrifice that he made. And if there's any here this morning who have yet to put their faith, their trust in Christ, I pray that they would cry out to you, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Lord, show me the way. Draw me to yourself. Help me to understand my sinfulness before a holy God. Lord, I pray that you would save my soul. Lord, that's a prayer that you will answer when it's prayed from a sincere heart. And so, Father, we thank you for this place we worship in today. Lord, we don't take these facilities for granted. We don't take anything for granted. Lord, all this is by your hand of grace. And, Father, we thank you for the constant provision through your people for these doors to remain open and effective and to minister not only here but through missionaries around the world, the glorious gospel of Christ. And Father, we thank you for those who are part of this body who willingly and selflessly give and serve in so many different ways, whether it's in the nursery or in a Sunday school class or setting up fellowship time or cleaning the church or preaching and teaching during the sound and video, different things. Lord, we thank you for their willingness to serve those who help in the finances of the church and the missionaries. Lord, we, we thank you for each, each one that is part of this body and that participates. And Father, we pray that our number would increase. Lord, that you would put it upon people's hearts to serve you even more here in this place. And Father, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' precious name. Amen.